It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get right through now, it. the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. We've got a good one in store, uh, an interesting one with several uh, uh, recent authors uh, coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour. We're going to talk about um, health care with Dr. David Wilcox uh, uh, from his new book, how to Avoid Being a Victim of the American Healthcare System, a Patient's Handbook for Survival. And uh, in the middle, in the uh, second hour of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with um, Signe Myers Hovum about her new book, aptly <laughs> entitled The Space in Between, an Empath's Field Guide. But we're going to talk about uh, race and media with uh, Jack Lessenberry coming up in, in just a moment or two. But first, I want to share some sad news about the passing of uh, former Congressman Dale Kildee, who served this area for 35 years before retiring in 2013, paving the way for his nephew, Dan Kildee, to move into that seat, who now uh, holds that office. But here are a, a, a few words in Dale Kildee's own words and uh, from from an appearance, he was on the show several times, and this one comes from an in-studio visit from 2010 while he was still congressman. We're going to hear just this little uh, soundbite, and then we'll 
turn it over to Jack Lessonberry in a way. I think there is an anger out there, Tom, but I think the anger really emanates, starts from a broken heart. A lot of Americans really are broken hearted what's happening in the country that we're getting deeper and deeper into debt. I've talked to these people and oh, they, they love this country like you and I love this country. And I think they're broken hearted over some of the things that are happening and uh, broken hearts can very often lead to anger. And uh, this has happened before in this country. Uh, and I think it, uh, it gets the attention of those to whom uh, attention should be brought. But uh, I think ultimately, I think it would be better to cool the rhetoric but, mm -hmm. but, but keep the strong feelings that our country has to do better in a way it, uh, it raises money and spends that money. And that's what they're concerned about. From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. Rest in peace, former uh, Congressman Dale Kildee. Now we move on with the show and uh, introduce my first guest, of course, giving him sort of a tough act to follow, but uh, he is a veteran journalist and well-known to uh, people throughout Michigan from his uh, daily commentary on public radio and uh, his um, long journalistic career, but he's also written... Uh, Books in. We're going to talk about his newest book, but I wanted to mention one he wrote uh, uh, called "The People's Lawyer: The Life and Times of Frank J. Kelly, the Nation's Longest Serving Attorney General, or as we on the Tom Sumner program referred to him, the Attorney, the Eternal General." But uh, his new book traces a family in the newspaper business and their treatment of uh, issues dealing with race over the last century and it's um, a, a pretty interesting project the name of the book is reason versus racism a newspaper family race and justice by Jack Lessonberry who joins me by phone hi Jack welcome to the show well thanks it's an honor to be here honor to be on your program and I have to say a personal note you do radio that the way radio is supposed to be done well, thank you for saying that, Jack. And it's been a while since uh, since we've talked. In fact, I think uh, the last time we talked was uh, also the passing of a mutual acquaintance, uh, Pat Clawson. Yeah, that's really. Yeah, he was one of a kind. He was certainly a Flint original. And and you know, of course, Frank Kelly, who you kindly mentioned earlier, died in March. So I I propose that people just quit dying. <laughs> yeah, it would be nice. I'd, I I think maybe a little later in the show I'll pay tribute to uh, Captain Kirk coming back from space and <laughs> try and, and stay on a positive note. But, but there's something, um, the, the book that you just came out with, uh, Reason Versus Racism, this came about a little differently than most books do. Usually a writer has an idea and sits down, you know, at a keyboard and starts right. banging out a, uh, their next uh, great American novel or whatever. Or a publisher comes to a writer with an idea. But this, this came about a little differently, didn't it? Yes, it did. I, I had known that this is one of the last private newspaper companies in the United States. It's called Block Communications. It was founded by a man named Paul Block in about 1900. 
and they still own, they used to own newspapers all over the country, they still own papers in Plato and Pittsburgh and broadcast properties. And the CEO, I knew slightly, they came to me, and uh, they had had an editorial that had been called racist. I didn't think it was racist, I thought it was clumsily done. But they said, they, he said, we think we have a fine racial history, and they asked me if I had research and write a book about it. They said they'd pay my expenses. And I said, uh, I will if I can write whatever I find, whatever the truth. Uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. If you, you know, there's no censorship. They said, of course not. And they wanted me, he said, read every page of every paper we ever published. I said, oh, nobody could do that. <laughs> so, but, but I can look at enough of them to, to, you know, I can make a determination. And so I did that. I was helped a lot by Elizabeth, my partner in life and best friend and the woman I'm lucky enough to share my life with, who is an archivist and a librarian. And so we went around. We went to most of the cities where they don't newspapers, though these things aren't online mostly, and we read them and studied them, and, and I produced this book about, uh, uh, and you would think, why would anyone want to read a, a book about a newspaper family's racial history? Well, it turned up some very fascinating stories involving the Ku, the Ku Klux Klan and the Supreme Court, and uh, um, I had a lot of fun doing it. Well, you know, I, I think um, one of the stories that... Uh uh, really stands out for me is the one about uh, Paul Black, Block, the uh, founder, and um, his uh, coverage of uh, the story of Tom Lee. Right. Uh, this is I mean, this is a fascinating story, and uh, it took place in Memphis, Tennessee, a city where I used to live. And Tom Lee was, this is 1925, Paul Block had a newspaper there. Uh, this was at a time when towns like Memphis would have four or five newspapers, he had the number two newspaper, and the, Tom Lee was a black laborer who uh, who happened to have a raft. He couldn't swim, and an excursion boat overturned the Mississippi River. It was full of engineers and their wives who were in Memphis for an engineering convention, and he went out in his raft and saved 34 people, and which was quite a heroic deed, especially since he couldn't swim. And the paper rightly celebrated him, and Ta, uh, Paul Block, who was a friend of Calvin Coolidge, the president of the United States, took Tom Lee to. Uh, Washington to meet Calvin Coolidge. Uh, there's a, the cover of the book actually shows a pretty self-conscious looking Mr. Lee with the president. And uh, as a result, he was essentially run out of town by white racists who resented him giving so much attention to an African American, who of course they did not call an African American. Is is that a um, is is that uh, Paul Block in the photo with uh, the president in Tom? Yes, Lee? that's the original Paul Block. Now some folks may remember his son Paul Block Jr who became the head of the corporation after he died. I, I knew Paul Block, Jr., and he, he was based in Toledo for many years until he died in 1987. But this was the original Paul Block uh, uh, on, on the left, if you're looking at the picture on, on the cover of the book. And people ran him out of town over yeah, this. Yeah, I mean, this was, this was the height of Jim Crow, and uh, uh, as a result, uh, Paul Block told his sons, we are never going to do business in the South. They sold the newspaper, and uh, ironically, his grandsons defied that years later because uh, Alan Block, who is the current CEO of the company, was very interested in cable and broadband. He was sort of a pioneer, and the company now has extensive broadband interest in uh, uh, Mississippi and, and, and Alabama, but uh, which has been very good for the company. But for a long time, you know, that really stung, and Paul Block, his entire life, uh, was crusading against the Ku Klux Klan. How did the how did Paul Block come to to hold those feelings and be that open when so many of even his peers 
would not have? Well, I think the bottom line is, frankly, he was Jewish. He was of Jewish origin. Uh, um, and he, he was an immigrant. In fact, he concealed that in his lifetime. He came over as a 10-year-old boy uh, from, from Germany. His father had gone to Germany after being in Lithuania and being persecuted, being in pogroms. And so he was a Ku Klux Klan, you may remember, is as opposed to Jews as they are to black people. And so he, um, you know, that was a particularly sensitive spot, and he thought everybody should get a break. Now, I don't want to, sugar, I don't want to sugarcoat it. Paul Black was no great pioneer, uh, racial pioneer. In his time, you know, we, we all, of course, know that baseball was segregated. Newspapers were just as rigidly segregated until after World War II. Almost no uh, what we would call majority-owned paper, white-owned paper, had any black reporters at all, including his papers, and they mainly did not cover news that involved African Americans. Uh, he was as bad about that as most most other people, although he he treated them fairly and he was he was against racism in his editorials. But it was not till after World War II when his son became a pioneer in first hiring black reporters editors. Did this did this project, as you were researching it and in writing the book, Jack? Did it become the the history of of race relation evolution through the eyes of the Block family for you? Well, it became that that was a minor thing. It was more a history of America and its race relations through these years. Because in order to understand them and what they were doing, you had to understand what was going on in America. Uh, and you know, of course, one of the big mistakes we can make is judging people in the past by the standards of today. I mean, if you look at things that Abraham Lincoln said. Uh, they look more terribly racist than anything anybody would say today um, because the standards were different. And so you have to understand that. In order for people to understand them in the book, I had to explain sort of what was going on. And, uh, you know, I'm essentially uh, I'm a journalist but also a historian, and I was very familiar with the history of the black press and history of race relations in this country. And I think that was important to know. But they, uh, I think the, the thing about them is that they always pretty much strived for fairness. They made mistakes. And there were, there were mistakes in the way they covered things, and I, I sort of document that. But pretty much they were ahead of their time. Was it as important then to be first with a story as it is today? Probably more so, because you had so much competition. You had, uh, first of all, there was, you had so much newspaper competition. You didn't have, newspapers can't do that now. There's no way they can do it because of electronic journalism and the Internet and Facebook. But what they, what, what, back then... Uh, sometimes your papers would have several editions a day. And one of the funniest, this is sort of an aside, Paul Block, the first Paul Block, was an enormous baseball fan. And you actually would have headlines in his papers saying things like, uh, Japan invades China, Philadelphia had a Brooklyn 2-1 to one in the ninth. Um, <laughs> that's the headline on the front page. Uh, but, uh, but sure, no, they really, they really did try to scoop each other. And that, in fact, that led to maybe the most dramatic story in this book, one of the two most dramatic stories, is that Paul Block um, got a tip that Hugo Black... Jack, was trying to, yes. I, I, I hate to interrupt, but I have a break coming up. Can you stick I'm around sorry. and finish that story? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll, I'll hang on. Well, we'll be back with Jack Lessonberry and the rest of the story after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch 
once that dial, don't click that mouse. More with Jack Lessonberry straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. 
where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue now with my conversation with uh, journalist and author Jack Lessonberry about his new book, Reason Versus Racism, a newspaper family, race and justice. And Jack, uh, welcome back, and thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. Well, it was a good, I learned something. <laughs> Well, that's hard to believe, Jack, because I really pretty much, after reading your blogs and, and listening to you on the radio for many years, thought you pretty much knew everything. Well, talk to my wife. She'll disabuse you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's always good to have that uh, that sounding board, Jack. Um, oh, absolutely. But uh, but but let's get back. You you were uh, about to tell a couple of stories from the book, and I, I wanted to share one with you because just before the break, we were talking a little bit about you were saying how cities had multiple newspapers and there was a lot of competition to get things first. And you mentioned uh, you know newspapers uh, couldn't compete in in today's electronic world with the internet and Facebook. And it, I, I thought of a story. I was I was. Uh, doing my radio show and i got an email while i was on the air doing the show that tiger woods was going to be playing in the buick open i thought well i don't really do news you know i do you know behind the news stuff you know that's about the closest i get but i thought well this would be fun i'll do some breaking news by time i could get to a live mic you know out of a segment into a live mic it had already been posted on facebook that's exactly right. Is this is this recent? It's a little hard for me to believe that Tiger Woods would be in shape to play golf. No, 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 no. This was several years ago. Oh, okay. Oh, good. Right. Yeah. You can't. You can't compete. But what we can do, what newspapers can do today, is provide background and depth and uh, more than headlines. And if they're going to survive, I think that's that's how how they're going to do it. And they're not going to be for everybody. They're going to have to be for people who like to read, people who are sort of more thoughtful and and analytical. Because you can never compete these days with Facebook, CNN, et cetera, et cetera, for, um, you know, breaking news. Well, and, the, and one of the problems that I have with breaking news and why I prefer not to, not to really try hard to be the first on a story is that very often the first accounts are not very accurate. The first rough draft of history, we sometimes call ourselves, and the first accounts are almost never completely accurate. Um, any, anyway, let's get, let's get back to the uh, the Block family, Jack. And uh, they're at the at the heart of this book, um, which ends up talking about uh, the history of, of race and the way media treats race uh, uh, in in Jack's book. Um, but you were before the break, you were starting to tell a couple of stories. We we had just talked about Tom Lee, but you, you had a couple others that you thought were sort pick of up amusing. On that. I think one of the most fascinating characters is that the, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette for years had a reporter. He's probably one of the most brilliant investigative reporters in the country named Ray Spriggle. And Ray Spriggle was also a chicken farmer. 
So when uh, Paul Block the first was uh, actually was playing cards with some uh, some other uh, high publishers, and he had this tip that Hugo Black, uh, who had just been uh, named to the Supreme Court, was a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Now back then, this is 1937 in Washington before air conditioning. Do you know how long his confirmation took? Five days. I think people wanted <laughs> to get out of town. Yeah, nowadays, you know, they they they're like epics. But uh, so he was already confirmed, but Black went down there, and a bunch of other reporters were down in Alabama. Like Black had been a senator from Alabama, uh, trying to find, uh, check these rumors. And, and uh, so Springle goes to the uh, office of the head of Ku Klux Klan, who was also a disbarred lawyer. And the guy says, I ain't talking to you about Hugo Black. And Springle said, I don't want to talk to you about Black. I want to talk to you about chickens. <laughs> he done his homework, and the guy said, well, the guy said what? He said, I hear you got a son you're trying to set up in chickens, and I'm a chicken farmer. And the guy says, really? He says, come over to the house tonight. So Sprinkle showed up and brought some of his best chewing tobacco, and they, they brought out uh, uh, the bourbon and the branch water. And he says, yeah, I got this no-account son. I'm going to set him up with a flock of leghorns. And Sprinkle says, oh, don't do that. He says, they're good egg layers, but the meat isn't very good. You want wine dots. And the guy gave him another drink and said, say, you're all right. Come to the office tomorrow. So he came back to the office. He opened his safe, and he gave him all these documents proving that Hugo Black was a life member of the Ku Klux Klan. And he said, and he said, he said the SLB never put any of the boys on the payroll. And he would even help me when I got disbarred from my illegal bail bond business. <laughs> <laughs> so Sprinkle took his documents, and he smuggled them, in, he put them in a suitcase with his wife's underwear, and smuggled them back to Pittsburgh and won the Pulitzer Prize. And... Uh, when I saw that story, Jack, I, I couldn't help wondering, here's this, this uh, uh, very successful and accomplished and talented, gifted uh, uh, investigative reporter who was also a chicken farmer, and, and I couldn't help wondering which one of his jobs was the moonlighting job. Well, that's a good question, <laughs> but I think the chicken farmer I, he, Spriggle, there should be a movie about Spriggle. Spriggle w w got, got him, he liked going undercover. He checked into uh, a, a snake pit type insane asylum. He went down an unsafe coal mine. He went and covered the Blitz in London, but he, he asked to come back because it was too boring for him. And uh, <laughs> so, so, but his greatest story of all, I think, was in 19. Now, most of us grew up reading a book called Black Like Me by John Howard Griffin. It came right. out in 1959. It's about an author who went and, and for a short time uh, put shoe polish on his face or whatever and acted as if he was a black person in the Deep South. Very good book. But Spriggle did something much harder and much more dangerous. In 1948, he did this. He went, uh, he went deep cover in the Deep South after first. Um, he tried to die. Sprinkle was a light-complected white man. He, he, he looked, you know, he, he was very fair-skinned, and he, he put stuff on his face and almost killed, poisoned himself. And so finally, he knew the head. He knew the head of the NAACP, and the head of the NAACP told him, Sprinkle, it's not how you look; it's how you act." And and he really had to go to school to learn how to be a black man in the Deep South. And he pr produced this unbelievable series called. 30 Days in the Land of Jim Crow about the horrible injustices and lynchings and murderings. And, uh, I mean, if he had been found out, he would have been killed. He, he would have just, they, they would have certainly killed him and probably in the most unpleasant way. He came back and wrote all this, and I think that this, that deserved the Pulitzer Prize even more than Hugo Black, but it was sabotaged because there was a Southern editor who, uh, argue, who wouldn't run the stories, who was on the Pulitzer Prize Committee, and very clearly sabotaged his winning the Pulitzer Prize. But uh, 
but it's a fascinating. I, I haven't done it justice on the radio here. It's an absolutely fascinating story. But but there are so many in the book, Jack. It 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 would be hard, even with a long format interview like this one, to to give any or or all of them justice. Uh, you know, as as we're just sort of skimming through uh, what you uncovered for the book. Um, but and let me say this about the blocks. They were real pioneers. They had a full-time black reporter and editor before the New York Times. They, 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 and this man stayed with the paper for almost 50 years. I knew him. His, na- his name was Bill Brower. In 1951, 1971, and again in 1996, they sent him on long trips all around the country to assess the state of race relations. And nobody was doing that back then. When you you talked about in the, in the last segment, you talked about uh, the Block family and and their newspapers and how they certainly made mistakes along the way as anybody does, but that they weren't perfect by any means. But did you come to a conclusion? Uh, and this is, uh, and maybe I'm violating a, a rule you set out about not comparing people back then to. Uh, you know how we look at things today but would you did you come away with the impression that they were simply not racist or do you think they were pioneers in being anti-racist as well i think that actually i think that anybody any white person i'm uh you're you're very young tom but i'm about to be 70 and I think anyone our age, if they look at <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sneaking up on you, Jack. I'm going to be 65 <laughs> next month. What a baby. Anyone who looks, it, it looks into their heart, we have some racist attitudes. Anybody in this country, we were born, raised with them, and maybe black people as well as white people. The thing you have to do is try to do your best to overcome it. So I think... They tried that. I mean, again, I, I'm not saying you can't judge people in the past. You, of course you can. I mean, Hitler, Hitler was evil, period. Mussolini was evil. Some of the Roman emperors were, were bad and evil, did bad things. But you have to try to get into their heads and look at it the way they looked at it. And um, by the standards of their time, they were very forward-looking. They were not, I, Paul, the first Paul Block, who died in 1941, was not any great pioneer of it. He stood for fairness, decency, and equality. And I think that's been true of the family ever since. Now, they, his son, the second Paul Block, I fault him. There are occasions when he suppressed uh, news of police brutality because he thought it would be bad for the city or he start, thought it might provoke some kind of uh, uprising. But again, they were always, all, they always strove to be fair. I found, to my astonishment, that their editorials treated Malcolm X much more kindly than a lot of other bigger newspapers. Malcolm X, of course, was seen as being uh, sort of the, the devil by much of white America at the time of his life. He was assassinated in 1965. But they were very forward-looking on this stuff, and they tried, they tried to make it a better place and tried to be, they tried, they, they strove to be fair. And I think that's, that's a good uh, benchmark for any of us. It is. Are they the? Is this? Uh, is the Block family the last of the of the family-owned newspapers? Well, no. Of course, the Salzberger family still owns the New York Times. Okay. Uh, they, they, they still have the New York Times. I think there are a few papers around that are still still family-owned, but by and large, um, you know, that's not. That's not the pattern anymore. We can remember a time when the Booth family 
owned the Flint Journal, when uh, the, the descendants of the Scripps family still owned for the Detroit News, owned the Detroit News. I worked for the Detroit News uh, at that time. And, but there are not very many left. And uh, it's sort of, I think that's sort of sad. I think there's something to be said for uh, having a newspaper owned by people who live in that city and are concerned with that city. Yeah, I, I, I've been thinking for the last couple of days, uh, Jack, about the Mark Twain quote about, uh, you know, if you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. But if you read the newspaper, you're misinformed. Uh, <laughs> well, there's sometimes, there's sometimes some truth about that. One of the funniest essays in the world is his one on journalism in Tennessee. But, uh, you know, we try to do the best we can. But I think that I think if you read the newspaper, you're, you're not going to get on broadcast outlets and find out the details about Flint City Council. You have to have a newspaper, and not necessarily. One of my, I have to give a shout out to one of my former students, Jaquanda Johnson, who started an online peppy publication called Flint Beat, which I'm very fond of in your hometown of Flint. There. Oh, and, and she is I, tremendous. Oh, she is. I, I, I'm her biggest fan, and, uh, uh, and publications like that is that you know sometimes you have to hunt around for multiple sources but we we need people who are giving us the bread and butter daily journalism telling us what's happening in our communities and neighborhoods we can get all the gabby petito news we want anytime we can get all the donald trump news but to find out what's really happening in flint what's really happening in davison any of our communities you you need publications like newspapers in whatever form and i um I miss newspapers. In fact, I recently uh, started taking the Flint Journal on Sundays again, just just to have that experience of sitting down with a newspaper in front of me and, you know, going through the pages. It's not what it once was, Jack, and and that's a sad thing to uh, admit. But um, it's it, it so much news is is racing to be first and as we pointed out earlier it's it's often a little bit wrong but how do you think journalism is holding up in this age of so-called fake news well i think um uh that that it's almost a question like saying what are people in china like i mean <laughs> there's some yeah that's true or asking a musician what their favorite song is they, well exactly there, there's some uh Oh, the New York Times still does consistently good work. I think that uh, CNN, CNN uh, usually does pretty good and, and solid work. The Wall Street Journal uh, is solid, the Washington Post. I think the model for newspapers, quite frankly, Tom, is you know, Jeff Bezos, who uh, um, started Amazon and uh, bought the Washington Post, which, like most newspapers, was in trouble and has poured a lot of money into it. So what newspapers and maybe radio programs need, too, are philanthropists, people who, who buy these things and, and put money into them as a public service. Um, but well, by let the me way, know if you I, meet any, Jack. <laughs> I will. By the, by the way, I, I, have, I have to share this. I heard the other day, did you hear what the, the final uh, terms of uh, Bill Gates' divorce settlement were? No. She, she gets half of the money, and she gets half of all the money in the world, and he gets the other half. <laughs> That's great. That's but, but, I, but, you're not, but, but I appreciate you asking, but I think if I want to come back to my book for just a minute, yeah, I please. think that anybody who reads it will, will, will learn a lot about the history of race in America as well as about, about newspapers and how they covered it. But I've tried to make it an interesting book 
for the general reader, and I think that uh, what I love is when somebody reads one of my books and says, gee, I didn't know that. And I think if anyone reads this, they're bound to find some of those. How did the Block family react to the final Oh, edit? I told them. Well, one of them had some initial objections to something I wrote, and I said, the deal was I write what's true, <laughs> and they, okay, that's all, right. That, that's all right. And it was not about their racial policy. It had to do with the management, an issue of how somebody was portrayed in the book. Uh, but no, they were. Um, <clears throat> they, they have always been true to their word with me. The interesting thing about the company, uh, there's a number of family members, is why, why, you know, they're in the uh, third generation or fourth generation of this family, but... The corporation itself is run by two brothers who are identical twins. One of them lives in Toledo, and one of them lives in Pittsburgh. And so they 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 sort of live where they work. And uh, I think there's still something very admirable about that. Oh, that's funny. It's almost like mirror operations. And they have never interfered with me. I was their ombudsman for 19 years. I served as their ombudsman, and I would criticize what they did. I would, yeah, ombudsman. In newspapers, that was somebody who responded to reader complaints. He become the most unpopular person in the world because uh, <laughs> the, reader, the readers think you're not hard enough on the on the editors and the reporters. The editors and reporters think you're too hard on them, and so nobody likes you. But no one ever liked me anyway, so I didn't care. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't anything different. And uh, my dog likes me most days, but as, and so does my wife, who's my best friend. But but so uh, they have never ever tried to censor anything that I did. And I, I sometimes uh, am politically at odds with them. They trust my judgment and they trust my integrity, and they've always had perfect integrity with me. And so I, I applaud them. I don't know of any other company that has commissioned a book and their history of race relations. I know of no private company that has ever done that. Some of them have published little things, little manifestos, but, but I think this is unique in American business. You know, you said you uh, you like it most when when somebody reads something you've written, like this book, uh, and I'll, I'll say the name again: "Reason Versus Racism: A Newspaper Family Race and Justice" by Jack Lessonberry. Um, but you said you really enjoy it when somebody has has read something you've written and and comes away and says, uh, "You know, I learned something." But what right. if, I, what I learned if, something, or I, I yeah, I didn't know that. That, that's, I guess I'm a teacher at heart. Well, what I was going to say is um, I, this speaks to the, uh, the student, Jack Lessonberry, in the process of researching and writing this book. What were some of the things that Jack learned? Well, I learned, I learned certainly, I, did, I, I had heard of Spriggle. I didn't know of all the things he did. Uh, the funniest thing, here's this man who took all these risks, did all these undercover assignments, and he, he never retired. He, one day in his early 70s, he was covering sort of a routine trial. His, uh, um, his wife had the car. They were a one-car family. He took a taxi cab home and got killed by a drunk driver in broad daylight hitting his taxi cab. Talk about irony. Um, but I learned an awful lot about, uh, I think, what it was like to be, uh, to be black in America um, in the 1920s and the 1930s, and how newspapers covered folks, or mainly didn't cover them. Pretty much they didn't cover black people unless uh, uh, they committed a crime, um, which, which is sort of, you can't imagine that, that today. There was a black press that covered what black people were doing, but the white press virtually ignored this whole, at the time, slightly more than a tenth of the American population. And it's, hard, it, it's absolutely 
impossible to believe that today. In 1931, uh, some entrepreneurial uh, black aviators staged what they called uh, uh, the first ever colored air circus in Los Angeles. It had 40,000 people turned out for this. It was quite an event. The white, the white papers, the block paper, the, the Los Angeles Times, the Hearst paper, none of them spent one word on this event. They just did not cover what black people were doing, which is sort of unbelievable, almost as unbelievable as the fact that blacks were not allowed to play major league sports. Do you feel like it's, it's changed that, that somehow we're evolving, or do, did you uncover a lot of things that seem eerily familiar? Well, I cut this off in 2018, and uh, because it's history, in fact, there was a controversy after that in Pittsburgh about how the paper covered Black Lives Matter, and I said, not the, you know, this is still an evolving story. But I think that, this is sort of beyond the scope of the book, I think that uh, the events of the last few years uh, have shown us that how firmly embedded racism still is in America. Some people thought that when uh, President Obama was elected in 2008 that we are now transitioning to a post-racial society, but uh, obviously we're not, and there are some people who think that uh, uh, Donald Trump, or the former guy, as President Biden calls him, uh, gave these people license to come out from under their rock and express uh, their sort of hateful sentiments, and certainly we've seen a lot more of that. So it is... There was a famous Swedish sociologist called Gunnar Myrdal who wrote a famous book in 1944 called An American Dilemma. And the American Dilemma, of course, is race. And we have never managed to adequately deal with that or get past it in the society. Some things are better, but then some things are still, you know, uh, very ugly in this country. And we've been finding a terms of police brutality, et cetera, and we've been forced to confront the hard truth of that. Jack, we're almost out of time, and it, it's uh, <laughs> it's that's disappointing to me because I I enjoy uh, talking to you, and it's great to hear your voice again. But I always give uh, guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, Jack, I know the answer to this, but do you have a website that you can share? I do. It's called Lessonberry Inc. I-N-K, not I-N-C, LessonburyInc.com, uh, designating an old guy who still uses ink pens, LessonburyInc.com. <laughs> and the book is called Reason Versus Racism. And the, it is in some bookstores, but the easiest, best way to get it is on Amazon. You can get hardcover, paperback, or on Kindle. And uh, I think that I, I think people would find it interesting and entertaining. And you can go on my website and send me a, or on, on Facebook, uh, that great modern convenience, and send me a message if you have any further uh, questions, and I'd be delighted to try to answer them. Well, Jack, it was a, a real honor and a privilege for me to get to talk to you again. I am a huge fan, and thank you so much for spending uh, this time with me and the listeners this morning and for all the work that you do. I'm a huge fan of yours, and I hope I get invited again, uh, invited back again sometime. Oh, that would be great. And if I could get you to come up from Huntington Hills or down from Charlevoix, maybe we could uh, get a Coney I, dog I sometime. Always, I, I always love a chance to go to Flint, and we'll, we'll have a Coney dog and raise a glass to Pat Clawson. Hey, that sounds good, Jack. Keep up the good You're work. Super great, Take care. Thank you, sir. Take care. Bye-bye. Again, uh, Jack Lessonberry, he... Uh, uh, he's been a writer for many national and regional publications, including 
Vanity Fair, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Boston Globe. He's, uh, as he mentioned, a contributing editor and columnist for the Toledo Blade and uh, occasionally other newspapers. His uh, new book is um, called Reason Versus Racism, A Newspaper Family, Race, and Justice, commissioned by the Block family themselves. Anyway, we're going to take a short break. Let our broadcast partners at uh, WFOV 92.1 LPFM Flint squeeze in a few words or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And uh, lots more of the Tom Sumner Program is straight ahead. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. Be right back. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is... This is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council.
W.H. Weiscarver, a recent guest on the show, has pledged 50% of the proceeds from his book Twilight of Empire from sales between October 1st and October 31st to support the Tom Sumner program. W.H. Weiscarver, a former National Security Advisor and counsel for the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee, pulls no punches fusing history with political intrigue in Twilight of Empire, the third of four planned novels in the Resurrection Saga series. W.H. Carver's book, Twilight of Empire, shows that the U.S. has all the wealth, science, and resources to solve every issue we face today. Twilight of Empire by W.H. Carver is available on Amazon and Apple Books. For more information and to support the Tom Sumner Program, visit whwisecarver.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Upon a time, you dressed so fine. You threw the bums a dime in your prime, didn't you? People call, say, Beware, doll, you're bound to fall. You thought they were all kidding you. You used to laugh about everybody that was hanging out. Now, you don't talk so loud. Now, you, you don't seem so proud about having to be scrounging for your next meal. How does it feel? How does it feel to be without a home? Like a complete unknown. Like a rolling stone. We've gone to the finest school, all right, Miss Lonely. But you know you only used to get juiced in it. And nobody ever taught you how to live on the street. Now you gotta get used to it. You said you'd never compromise with the mystery tramp. 
But now you realize he ain't selling any alibis. You stare into the vacuum of his eyes and ask him, do you want to make a deal? How's it feel? How does it feel to be without a home like a complete unknown, like a rolling stone? You never turned round to see the frowns on the jugglers and the clowns when they all came down and did tricks for you? Never understood that it ain't no good, you should let other people get your kicks for you? You used to ride on the chrome horse with your diplomat who carried on his shoulder a Siamese cat. Ain't it hard when you discover that he really wasn't where it's at after he took from you everything you could steal? How does it feel? Huh? How does it feel? To be without a home, like a complete unknown, like a rolling stone. Princess on the steeple and all the pretty people drinking, thinking they've all got it made, exchanging all kinds of precious gifts and things. But you'd better lift your diamond ring. You better pawn it, babe. You used to be so amused at Napoleon and his rags and the language that he used. Well, go to him now. He calls you. You can't refuse. When you've got nothing, you've got nothing to lose. Oh, you're invisible now. You got no secrets to conceal. How's it feel? How's it feel to be without a home? Like a complete unknown. Like a rolling stone. My bags last night, three flights. Zero hour, nine a.m. And I'm gonna be high. I miss my wife It's lonely out in space On such a time Flight 
like this And I think it's gonna be a long, long time The touchdown brings me back around to find Not the man they think I am at all No, no, no I'm a rocket man Rocket man Burning out its fuse out hell on Mars ain't the kind of place to raise your kids In fact, it's cold as hell And there's no one there to raise them hmm, If you did All this science I don't understand <laughs> Just my job five days a week Rocket man <laughs> Rocket man Touchdown brings me back around to find Not the man they think I am at all No, no, no I'm a rocket man Rocket man Burning out his feet out hell on I think it's gonna be a long, long time And I think it's gonna be a long, long time The Tom Summer Program.com comes along that's spreading like a plague and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague. Well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell. There is a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July. A super bad transmittable contagious awful virus 
And if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now, back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docs were busy overseas with World War One. Today we have mass media and scientists to say, if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, because we are asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised. Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, the lesson to July. A super bad, transmittable, Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. You pilots, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.